Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And as you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, we're continuing in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, as you're turning there, we actually reviewed one of the greatest miracles of all time. And this was the multiplication of bread and fish that fed approximately 15 to 25,000 people. This miracle was so amazing that all of the four gospel writers actually wrote about this event, the feeding of thousands. And we know that it taught us much on compassion, on faith, on the fact that how little becomes much in the hands of God and how God has chosen to deliver and to do His work through us. Today we're going to examine another supernatural act of Jesus. And this act that we're going to be talking about is Jesus walking on water. And not only does Jesus walk on water, but we're going to see Peter also walking on water. In this event, as we discuss it, I believe that the Spirit of God intends to speak to us on storms, on faith, and its purpose, which is the title of today's message, Storms, Faith, and Its Purpose. So let's go ahead and read there in Matthew 14. We're going to begin in verse 22 and finish the remainder of this chapter. It begins by stating this, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. You know, as we look at this amazing supernatural act of God that only God can do. He actually walked on water. But there are many points that the Lord wants to teach us and many things that the Lord wants us to walk away from with a completely new understanding. And so let's go into verse, the verses and let's just go ahead and, and hear what the Lord has for us. So let's begin with verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away. You know, as we look at this, right? As we see just this account, 
It tells us here in verse 22 that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. I want to focus on one word here because this word really shows us what Jesus does and the point that he wants to speak to us on this morning. It, the word or the verb made. Okay? As we look at this verse, it tells us that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. In other words, they didn't have an option, right? He made them get into the boat. Which plunges me into the point that Jesus wants to teach us today. Because we're going to break it up into three sections. We're going to break it up into storms, into faith, and thirdly, its purpose. So the first section, we're going to talk on storms, right? And I'm going to give you three points on storms. There's something that the Lord wants us to know. And we just read it right now. as the fact that the Lord makes us go into the storm. See, this is the first point that we're talking about today. The Lord makes us go into the storm. You know, as we look at this, right, this is the first point that I'm going to talk about. But let's examine the situation first. Because as we get into verse 24, as we read verse 24, we're in verse 23, but when we read it, it shared with us that the waves were tossing the boat. And the wind was contrary. So as we look at this, right, we can all say here that there is a major storm. Just to think that a boat is in the waters and the storm is tossing or the waves is tossing the boat back and forth. And it tells us that the wind is contrary to one another. So, you know what, we have a major storm that is going on here. And the disciples were placed in the storm. Let me have a show of hands here. How many are in a storm right now? In a trial is what I'm talking about. You know, according to what we're told here, it's that Jesus led the disciples into a boat. Think about that. Jesus made them go into the boat. And we know that Jesus is all-knowing, so we can safely say that Jesus knew the storm that was coming. And more than likely, I want to share this with you because Jesus is the one that does all things, right? It's through His Word and through His thoughts that all things happen. And so, as we see here, it's probably Jesus that made the storm. Think about that, right? He led them into the storm and He also made the storm. See, if Jesus knew the storm was coming and made His disciples get into the boat, into the sea of storms, then I believe that we can all agree that Jesus made them go into the storm. And as I share that with you, what does that mean to us? I want to share this important truth. Jesus also makes us get into a storm. See, does He do that to us? I want to share this, is that He absolutely does. But see, not all storms are created by Jesus, right? We must also know that fact. Is that some storms, even though they weren't created by Jesus, He allows the storms, right? When it comes to storms, we create some of them, right? Because of our disobedience. We also know that the devil creates some of the storms also, right? Because he wants to do what? He wants to just decapitate our faith. He wants us to lose our faith. He wants us to lose our hope in Jesus. And so... One thing we also know is that Jesus creates some of them. 
But when it comes to this storm and some of the storms that we go into, I want you to understand that they are created by Jesus. As He said there, He made them go into the storm. See, there's always a reason for the storm. And I want to, rest, I want to give you some comfort here is that Jesus doesn't enjoy us in the storms. I want you to know He doesn't enjoy seeing us in the storms, but just as God the Father did not enjoy seeing His Son suffer and die on the cross, but God knew that it was necessary. Just like when it comes to the storms that we're in, He knows that they're necessary. As far as His purpose, we'll talk about that in a few, but understand this is that there is a purpose for our storms. As we look at this verse, right, in verse 23, it told us that they got into the boat, or He made them get into the boat, and, and so they went to the other side. So, they were very obedient. But He also says that He sent the multitudes away. When we look at this, who were the multitudes? These were the fifteen to 25,000 people that He fed fish and bread. These were the same that wanted to make Him king after that great miracle, right, in John 6.15. And so these were the ones that he led away. So verse 23, it goes on to say this, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. Okay, as we read here, right? And as we saw there on the screen, John 6:15, that he wanted to spend some time alone. What does Jesus do when He spends time alone? As we see here, right? He's praying. This is what He's doing. He's praying. And He was alone praying. What is Jesus praying for? What is Jesus praying about? This brings us to the second point when it comes to the storms, right? The first point was this, that He led them into the storm. He made them go into the storm. The second point that I want to give you about storms is that Jesus prays for us in the storm. See, when we look at the Bible, it tells us that He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8.34 I want you to know a common practice that Jesus did, not only while He was on earth, but also what we see that He's doing in heaven, is He is interceding on your behalf. Jesus is praying for you. See, as He made Him get into the boat, understand one thing is that He was also praying for them. Before the storm came, as he did when, you know what, in the garden, remember in the garden of Gethsemane? It also tells us in John 17:9 that Jesus was praying for his own, his own, for his people, for those that belong to him. He is praying for you. So a common activity that Jesus does, remember this, is that he prays for you. How many are comforted in knowing that Jesus is praying for you? Every single one of us should be comforted by this. We should all be comforted with the fact that Jesus is praying for us. But He's praying for His own. Understand this. This is who He prays for. This is why it tells us that He's at the right hand of the Father right now today interceding on our behalf. This, I'll be honest with you, really blows my mind. To know that the living God is constantly praying for me and for you. How amazing is that? To know that God in His power and His might is praying for us. See, he knew that the disciples would be facing the storm. And this is why he went alone to pray, because he knew they were going to be what? Going into the storm. He knows every single one of us, before we go into the storms, understand this, he is interceding on our behalf. He is praying for us. 
See, but two things are going to happen here. The first one is, before the storm comes, he prays for us, right? That's why he went alone, as he shows us with the disciples. But secondly, as we get into the next verse, verse 24, when, they are, when the disciples are in the middle of the storm, did you know that Jesus was still praying? So what that means to you and I, that when we, before we get into the storm, and when we're in the middle of the storm, Jesus Christ himself is praying for us. That's what's so amazing about him is that He is constantly praying for us. That's what it says, that He intercedes on our our behalf. Verse 24, let's read it. It says this. It says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So as we see there in verse 24, it says that the boat got in the middle of of the sea, and that's when He was still praying for them, but... At the fourth watch of the night, he went to them. So when he saw them in the middle, he finally went to them. Understand, the boat was right in the middle. And it was many furlongs in the sea. And what this means is that, according to John chapter 6, verse 19, it tells us that that the boat of the disciples had gone three to four miles in the sea. Imagine that. When he got them in the boat, it's been now, they've been going for three miles to four miles. And being in the middle of the storm, it tells us the actual time that this all occurred. It says in the fourth watch. In the fourth watch, it tells us that that's when they were in the middle of the storm. And so this was about 3 to 6 a.m. I want you to understand that it's still dark, right? Between 3 and 6 a.m., it's still dark. So you can imagine how, you know what, with all the, the storm, the wind, the waves, as it's tossing the boat, it's late at night or early in the morning. When we think about the middle of the storm, because remember, they're in the middle of the storm right now. They're in the middle, right of the sea, of the storm. What do people do usually when you're in the middle of a storm? You know what? Think about that, right? When you're right in the middle of the storm, I think many of us, we struggle, right? How many of you struggle when you're in a storm? I think we all struggle, right? I mean, we're not superhuman. We're not super beings. You're not superwoman or superman. We struggle in the storm. And look at what the disciples are doing. This is what's so amazing about God. When we look at Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it tells us that the disciples were straining at rowing. I want to look at the word straining because look at what it means. To be straining is to be struggling. They were struggling through the storm. See, storms have a way of making us struggle. See, and when you struggle so much, what happens? When you just continue to struggle and you struggle and you struggle, what do you do? You begin to lose hope, don't you? You begin to give up. And so what should our next step be? Especially for us as Christians, right? When we are struggling in our storms, what should we be doing? As Christians, we should be calling out to Jesus, right? But what do we do many times? Instead of calling out to Jesus, what do we do? We call our mom. We call our dad. We call our brothers and sisters in the Lord instead of what? Crying out to Jesus, right? Because that's exactly what He wants us to do. But see, just like the disciples, it's the way we are as people. But Jesus wants to change that. This is why He's bringing it to our attention. See, in their struggle, they neglected to call out to Jesus. We can safely say that they forgot about Jesus. 
But I want you to understand this third point that I gave you about the storms, it's just amazing. There is an important point that Jesus wants us to learn here. And it's point number three. Jesus comes to us in the storms. See, as it told us, right, that Jesus went to them in the storm. He went to them when they were struggling. He went to them when they didn't call out to them. He went to them walking on water. See, it didn't matter. I want you to understand one thing. Whether they called to Him or not, He went to them. And when Matthew writes about this, right, he just says, you know what, very casually, it says that Jesus went to them walking on water. Imagine that. Like, no big deal, right? How many of us think, a bit, uh, think walking on water is a big deal? I think it is, right? But after you see miracle after miracle after miracle with Jesus, it just becomes common to Matthew. He just says, guess what? He got out of the boat and he walked on water. How many have walked on water? There's nobody that can walk on water. I forget that animal. There's like this little lizard that can walk on water. He runs so fast that he sort of walks on water. But apart from that, there's nobody that can walk on water. Think about that, right? See, for me, when I think of the fact that Jesus came to them in the storm, how many of you are comforted by this? I'm extremely comforted by this. Because I know that no matter what, whenever I'm in a storm, Jesus is coming to me. Even if I forget to call out for Him. See, if we don't go, if we don't go to Jesus, understand this, He will come to us. And what I love about this, and it's not given to us here in Matthew, but in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says that Jesus would have passed them by. Many of us, as we read this, right, we're going to think to ourselves, wow, you know what, Jesus would have passed them by, He would have neglected them, forgot about them. Is that what that's saying? Absolutely not. You know what it means? It means that Jesus would have passed beside them. That's what, the, that's what it means. Not that he would have passed them, but he would have pa- passed by them, but he would have passed beside them. See, one thing that Jesus wants to do is when we're going through a storm, he wants to make sure that you see him. For the purpose, for this very pers- purpose of calming you down, of reassuring you that he is with you. And this is the God that we serve. A God that comes to us in the storms. But for us, right, I mean, the, the disciples had an advantage over us, right? They had who? They had Jesus in physical form. Do you and I have Jesus in physical form where we can see Him coming to us? We don't have that, right? So how is it that Jesus is going to come to you and I? Let's think about this, right? How is it that Jesus will come to you and I? The way Jesus comes to us is He speaks to our hearts, right? He settles our hearts. He gives us an impression within our hearts. But when you're in a struggle, when you're in a storm, how many of you are listening to that small, still voice? I think our eyes are focused on the storm, right? We're struggling in the storm, so we don't hear His voice. So what does He do? He usually will speak to you through the Scriptures. You'll come to church and you'll hear a a verse that encourages you or you're doing your devotional, but because you're so wrapped up in your trial that sometimes you don't even hear or don't even see the Scriptures that He's speaking to you with. So what does He do after that? If you're not, oh, you know what, if you're not listening to His voice as He speaks to your heart, if you're not understanding the Scriptures that He's speaking to you, then what does He do? He usually sends somebody to you, right? Somebody to encourage you 
to give you a scripture that, you know what, that means so much to you. See, I want you to understand one thing about Jesus. When you belong to Him, He will never leave you or forsake you. That's what's so awesome about what He promises, right? Is that He will never leave you or forsake you. Yes, we might forget about Him. And yes, as we're consumed with our trials, struggling, as we have all these tears that we've shed and all the, the, you know, the wet floor that we left and the, all the tears on our bed. But understand this, is that you can rest if you are His and knowing that He will come to you. As we read here in verse 26, it says, And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. See, the disciples were struggling. They were struggling in the storm. And so, as we read, Jesus went to them, but they didn't recognize Jesus. They thought that He was a ghost. And right, I mean, I think about this, right? How many times does this happen to us right? when we're in a storm and things are so bad and, and you know what? And Jesus is speaking and we don't even recognize His voice and, and everything around us is only making matters worse. You know what, Jesus, as He tries to ca- capture our attention. See, even when Jesus came, their eyes were far from Jesus. Even when he came, because he, remember, he came from the shore and he walked on water about three to four miles. Imagine that, that's a long walk, right? And as he was getting closer, they still didn't even recognize it. I believe that this happens to us many times, doesn't it? When we're so focused on the trial that we can't even see Jesus with us or coming to us. And this explains why we're troubled. This explains why they were troubled, right? They think that He's a ghost. They can't even recognize Jesus, right? As He gets very close to them. And they're still crying out. You know, they had no idea it was Jesus. In their troubles, they never thought of Jesus. I mean, think about this, right? These are the disciples. They saw Jesus already healing people, miracle after miracle, even the feeding of the fifteen to 25,000 people. And yet they never thought of Jesus. How sad is that, right? But see, this is what Jesus wants to bring to our attention when you're in the storm. There was another time, we went over this back in Matthew chapter 8, when they were also in another storm, but... The difference between that storm and this storm was that Jesus was with them in the boat. Remember, He was in the back of the boat. He was sleeping. And they were also afraid and they were just crying out and they went to go get Jesus. They went to go wake Him up. But this time, Jesus, Jesus wasn't with them. Or at least, they were unaware that Jesus was with them. See, what I get from this, right? Because we have two situations here. We have Jesus in the boat and we have Jesus outside of the boat. See, Jesus is trying to teach us one important lesson here. That whether you see Him or not, He will be there for for you when you need Him. Imagine that. Amen? See, and this is what Jesus tells... He teaches us this too. Think about this, right? Remember in the Great Commission, when Jesus told the disciples, He said, you know what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So now we're going to talk about the second section. Remember I told you we would talk about three sections. One was storms. Two was faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about now. Faith. We're going to talk on faith now. And let's begin in verse 27. It says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. See, I want you to understand one thing. As the disciples were crying out for fear, right? Can you imagine it? It says that, you know what, that they were crying out in verse 26. They were crying out for fear. They were saying it's a ghost. Can you imagine big Peter crying out and saying, Ah! You know, and you have Simon the Zealot there, this revolutionary disciple, right? I mean, this guy's a hardcore, you know what, just uh, angry man at everybody and he's just willing to fight with everybody. You have these men crying out to Jesus. You know what? They were crying like babies. But let's not knock them, right? When the storm is all heavy in our, in our lives and they saw this man approaching them, not thinking that it was Jesus. They were overwhelmingly afraid. How many of you would be afraid if you saw somebody right now? Think about it this way, right? What if somebody started floating in air coming into this church? You'd be like, whoa, you know, it's the same thing here, right? But look at how Jesus responds, and I love the way He responds. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I mean, I take great comfort in these words. Because look at how Jesus spoke this, right? I love the way He said it. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. How many of you, when your child is afraid, how many of you when your child is screaming and they're afraid and you go to them and you just hold them and you comfort them and you say, don't be afraid? How many of you when you were children remember your mother and your father coming to you and holding you and saying, don't be afraid? That's exactly what Jesus was doing here. He's saying, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. See, it's important for us to understand what, is, what Jesus is doing here. His grace, His mercy that He's extending. This is what He does for us. He's whispering in our ears, don't be afraid. Let's now talk about faith. Okay, I, I'm going to give you four points on faith here. The first point is this. Jesus desires faith in the storm. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. See, God would desire, God's desire, His ultimate desire is that we would exercise faith in every storm that we go through. And this faith is believing in Him that He can and that He will handle the storm for us. But when you're so consumed with fear, what happens? You lose all faith, right? Can a man walk in fear and faith? Absolutely not. There is no way that a man can walk by fear and also walk by faith. See, when Jesus says, do not be afraid, be of good cheer, what he's trying to remind them is this, is that, you know what? I am the God of this universe and I'm with you in the storm. I'm praying for you in the storm. I'm coming to you in the storm. As we keep reading it with that same uh, thought of desiring faith in our, in our storm, look at what it says in verse 28. It says, And Peter said to him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
Matthew is the only one that gives us this account of Peter's response. And when we think about this, right, Peter must have been so encouraged and ignited by seeing Jesus walking on water. So much so that he says, Lord, command me to walk to you on water. And I love this about Peter because I truly believe that this is one of the greatest steps of faith that has ever been recorded in the Bible. Peter walked with an amazing faith here. Peter was so encouraged by seeing Jesus. Peter was just so ignited by seeing Jesus that he makes one simple request. Command me to walk to you on water. When you believe that Jesus is with you, how many of you would dare to ask such a request? Jesus, if you're with me, help me to walk on water. I want to exercise great faith in you. See, walking on water is just, it's the supernatural. You know what, it is just, over the top. See, when we come to Jesus, right, when we're in the storms, it's important for us to understand one thing is that, is that Jesus wants us to come to Him in faith. And look at the response, right? Because when Peter asked this question, the response from Jesus was, Come. You know what? The faith of Peter, to do what Peter did, to walk on water, no man has ever done this. The amount of faith that Peter exercised was amazing. See, what Peter did was he believed in that one simple word, which was, come. And as he believed by faith in that simple word, come, Peter came off the boat and he walked on water to Jesus. How many of us, when we're in the storm, can exercise this type of faith? See, this is what Jesus really wants us to do, right? This is His desire. Look at what it says in Matthew 17, verse 20. It says, So Jesus said to him, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. I love what it says at the end. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. You will be able to walk on water just like Jesus walked. I mean, just like Peter walked. To think that Jesus is saying, you know what? You can move mountains by having little faith. See, I believe that when we believe, the impossibility becomes a reality. This is what happened to Peter. Peter saw Jesus and he believed in the word when he said, come, that he now was doing exactly what Jesus was doing, walking on water. Which leads me to my second point. When it comes to faith, faith conquers the storm. Faith conquers the storm. What do I mean by this? As Peter Believe the word of Jesus come, Peter walked above the tossing waves. The wind was no longer an issue, right? There is no mention of the storm when Peter is walking on water. And why? Because of his faith. 
The impossibility became a reality. The storm was no longer an issue. Peter was on top of the storm. See, the storm was not overcoming Peter. Peter was overcoming the storm with his faith. I mean, think about this, right? Think about how profound that is. The storm was not overcoming Peter, but Peter was overcoming the storm because of his faith. Lessons for us. See, what happens next? Verse 30. Verse 30 says this, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. So as quickly as faith came, as quickly as it went away. But why did it go away? Because Peter lost sight of Jesus. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he placed his eyes on the storm and immediately fear crept in. And when fear crept in, because he took his eyes off of Jesus, Peter began to sink. Which brings me to my third point on faith and the storm. Fear gives power to the storm. Fear gives power to the storm. Understand this. You will never conquer a storm in fear. It only is conquered through faith. Faith in Him that can calm the storm, that can get rid of the storm. But when we walk in fear, you will sink and the storm will conquer you. It will overpower you. You're going to start crying. You're going to start hiding in your room. You're going to close the doors and you're going to want to give up. But let's think about this, right? I want to share with you how important this is. Remember this, what I just taught you, that Jesus led us in the storm, that Jesus prays for us in the storm, that Jesus comes to us in the storm, that Jesus desires faith in the storm, that faith conquers the storm. And why is He teaching all of us this? To give us hope in Him. That's what it's all about. See, the fact is, is that He will conquer our storm. I need to give you two points on fear and faith, or faith and fear. Understand one thing about faith and fear. The first thing is this, faith and fear are opposites. Either you're going to walk by faith or you will walk by fear. One cannot walk in faith and also walk in fear at the same time. So you're either going to do one or the other. Secondly, just like Peter, either one or the other. Second point on faith and fear is that fear contaminates faith. In other words, if you allow any ounce of fear in you, even just a little, it will always weaken your faith. It's like this poison that immediately spreads, right? When you've been bit by a snake, that poison immediately spreads, and that's the way fear is. It poisons and destroys every ounce of faith that you ever had. But I love what happens to Peter. When all of Peter's faith is gone. He cries out to the Lord as he begins to sink. And the only thing that he can, the only thing that he can muster up to say was this, Save me, Jesus. Save me, 
Jesus. And I want you to understand what this means. Is that when you lose sight of Jesus, all you have to do is remember one thing. And that is to cry out to Jesus and ask Him to save you. And look at what verse 31 says. And immediately Jesus, I mean, immediately Jesus stretched out His hand and caught Him and said to Him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Jesus stretches out His hand and reminds Peter, Oh, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? You know, it's just like any, anyone else. Remember, as a child, as a child that is filled with fear, you don't scold them. You just hold them and you say, why did you doubt? Remember what I told you. Remember I'm here with you. Don't worry about it. I told you, don't worry about those things. I'm here with you. This brings me to my fourth point. Faith in Jesus will always save you in the storm. Faith in Jesus will always save you in the storm. Isaiah 43 verse 2 Remember these words. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Understand this. If you are going through the storms of life, rest in Jesus. Jesus will save you. Even if you take your eyes off of Jesus, just cry out to Jesus and He will save you. This is the God that we serve. He doesn't say, oh, you forgot about me, I'm going to reject you. Absolutely not. He's there for us. No matter what. If you belong to Him. That's the key to it all. If you belong to Him. Verse 32 goes on to say, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They came, all the disciples, and they began to worship Jesus. And they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, as we look at this, right? As we see this in verse 32. Oh, I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. Verse 32 says this, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I need to explain this to all of you. When Jesus got into the boat, imagine this. The wind ceased. It stopped. The waves ceased. There was no longer any wind. There was no longer any waves. And what is this telling all of us? That where Jesus is, there are no storms. Think about that. Where Jesus is, there are no storms. See, once Jesus got in the boat of the storm, the storm stopped. And I want to give you this because I want to comfort you with this. See, on this side of heaven, we're always going to have storms no matter what. But what do you have to look forward to? You have a place to look forward to where there's going to be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more death. And what? This is the hope that we have today, right? Because we're going to go into this place. This is where we can hang on to that. You know what? The storm is only for a little while. But knowing that you're with me, Jesus, guess what? I know that the storm is going to stop. I know that you're going to settle the storm no matter where it's at. And then the purpose of it all was what I read to you in verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him saying, Truly, 
you are the Son of God. What is the purpose of the storms? First of all, why did Jesus allow the storms of life? Why should we exercise faith in, the, in and through the storms? What is the purpose of it all? It tells us this in verse 33. They worshipped Him. I want you to understand that the storms of life that we have, that all the problems that we go through, that all of these things, I want you to understand one thing. It's all so that Jesus will be worshipped in the end. See, it is a desire of Jesus Christ to be worshipped. For us to all come to an understanding that Jesus truly is God. That's what they said. You know what? You are the Son of God. Let me ask all of us, how many at the end of your trials are you worshipping God? Not everybody does that, right? Some of them are just, you know what, Lord, I am so... I mean, they say, you know what, I'm glad the trial is over. And the first person you call is who? Your mom and dad again. You call family or you call friends, brothers and sisters in the church, and you're telling them all about this, and guess who you put aside? The one that calmed the storm, the one that stopped the storm, you forget to acknowledge Him. And so you failed the test. And so now you wonder why you go through the storms again. How many like to retake exams or tests? I hate doing that, right? You want to pass the first time and that's it. Do you have to study again? Do you have to go through all that again to struggle again? Who wants to struggle again? Jesus is teaching us to worship Him. If we're neglecting to do that, then guess what? We're going to go right back in that storm so that what? So that we can come to a place of worshiping Him. See, He placed us in the storm. He came to us in the storm. He calmed the storm. And in the end, it is His desire to be worshipped. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. It's to bring Him glory, honor. It's to worship Him. That's what it's all about. I'm going to finish one with one final truth. There's another purpose for trials. And you know what that is? To grow you and to mature you. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants to perfect us. God wants to be worshipped and God wants to perfect us. You know what? As I think about these things, right? You think to yourself, man, why do I have to go all through all of this? You know what? God wants you to worship Him. And God knows that you're messed up. And so He needs to put us through trials so we can get our life back in order so that our priorities can be right. You know, as we're going to read these final verses and we're going to close with these. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Him, they sent out into all the surrounding region 
brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Imagine this, the one that walked on water, they brought to him all those who were in the storms of sickness. Imagine that. Everybody that was in the storm of sickness was brought to Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? The Bible tells us that He healed them all. It even says that people just wanted to touch Jesus. They wanted to touch His hand because they believed that if they touched His hand, that they would be healed. Imagine the faith. See, when we look at this, right? Remember. Remember this about Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done. In the storms of sickness, Jesus ended the storm. And how did He end the storm? When you believe in Him. See, all of these people, they were all healed. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus. No matter what storm you're in, no matter what you're going through, the Lord wants to increase our faith. He wants to be worshipped. You know, He wants us to know things about the storms so that we can learn from these things and so that we can walk in whatever He has touched, taught us today. See, I love, you know, the Word of God because it reveals so much truth to us. Truth to live by. Truth to bring to our forefront so that we can bring Him glory and honor. And let us close here. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for just reminding us, Lord, about the storms. Reminding us about faith and how important it is to have faith as we go through the storm. And most of all, Lord, for the purpose of the storms, to worship You. And most of all, to perfect us, to make us so much better. As we're going to have communion, the Lord tells us in His words, it's so important for us to be right with the Lord. How important it is for us to be a people that that are right with Him. And He is so gracious. He is so merciful. He is so loving that He says, you know what? I give you opportunity after opportunity to make things right with me, to ask me for forgiveness. You know what? To say that, you know what? I messed up. Even in my walk with you right now, I'm messing up. I'm still doing things that I shouldn't do and time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. If this is you, and you want to make things right with the Lord, I'm going to give you now an opportunity to say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. 
forgive me of the things that I've done against you. Forgive me of those things that I continue to practice that I shouldn't be doing. If there's anyone here that wants to make things right with Jesus, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Before we partake of communion, before we take it, He wants us to be cleansed by Him. That's what's so great about Him, right? Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those of you that raise your hand, just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for just doing these things that I shouldn't be doing. These things that are contrary to your word. Lord, I thank you for loving me and even when I mess up. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins of the past, of the present and of those sins that I'm going to do in the future. Thank you for paying their penalty and for not allowing me to have to go or to have to pay for my own sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your amazing love that you have for me. Holy Spirit, I need you. This man that is dead always wants to resurrect. Help me to keep my eyes focused on you. To give me the power over sin and death. I love you and I thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you could pass out the elements. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I did not trust the sweetest frame. But holy trust in Jesus' name My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I did not trust the sweetest phrase but holy trust in Jesus' name. In Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is.
As we look at the bread here, we're reminded of the fact that this is a bread of life. And as we look at it, we see the holes and we see the stripes. Just a reminder of just what Christ did for us. Imagine that. Gave up His life, let the heavenlies, and came to this world. The world that He created to die for the sins of all. And it just wasn't just a quick death. He went through much suffering. He was beaten. He was scourged. He walked with a crown of thorns and carried his own cross to think that he did this for you and I. He says, don't ever forget. Don't forget what I've done for you. I loved you so much that I gave my life for you. I paid for your sins. I paid your penalty. I love you. Let us take it. said it was my blood my blood that was shed on that cross I shed my blood to redeem you 
I bought you with a price. I gave you my life. He said it was that blood. That blood is what has saved you. And when we place our faith in Him, that's the new covenant. It's now placing our faith in the one who gave his life for us. And with that, we are saved. Let us take. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your reminder. As long as as we are on this side of heaven, Lord, we'll continue to remember the cross. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.